This is VC Projects Podcast, and today my guest is Ipshita Maitra, a lens-based artist out of India who works across various forms of mixed media and collage. Ipshita, thank you so much for joining me. It's a real, real pleasure to speak to you today. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me, and it's amazing to know you, Victoria, and also the intensity of uh, your practice and how you approach artists. It's really been really heartwarming. And I Aww. say that with, with all my heart. Oh, so, thank yeah. you. We actually met online and um, we met and we did a Zoom. And I actually, before that, she just sent me her work because I was interested. And I was just so inspired that I told her we have to do a podcast <laughs> right away. <laughs> and so here we are. And um, she has a few different bodies of work, but we're going to focus on one of the first ones at home in, ex in exile. And mm -hmm. before we get to that, maybe you might want to say a little bit about your beginnings and how you you led up to this body of work at home in exile? Um, so actually I've been, uh, photography has been my first love. I think I had a camera, I was lucky, I was one of the luckier children in India who had a camera while I grew up, uh, a point and shoot till I, I was around 16 and then my uh, I got my first SLR and I was shooting, I mean, in those days, we only had 35mm film and luckily the digital advent hadn't come in yet. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think my leaning and it was quite uh, obvious that uh, I was very drawn to the lens and as I went through life, <clears throat> I moved into becoming a filmmaker uh, I was sort of dissuaded from becoming a cinematographer because it was looked as, as the male profession in the industry and uh, sort of veered into being more director, writer. But I think, but I continue to shoot. I don't think I ever stopped uh, shooting. Uh, and stills was something that was very sacred to me. So it was always a personal uh, practice. Um, uh, cinema was something that I could accrease to doing a little bit commercially and not thinking so much about the content, but I just enjoyed the medium. I, I loved the uh, form of cinema. Um, but photography was always a, a very sacred space. And uh, even very young, I was not okay with using it to, say, uh, shoot food or commercials or, uh, you know, in a very um, banal kind of way. It it always meant something magical to me. And I think that magic was the gap that I felt with my hands, that what I couldn't paint, uh, photography could do for me mm. uh, and do it almost perfectly. So... So I could sort of relax a little bit in the fact that I didn't have to become this realist painter because there was this also very strong uh, tug towards um, the arts and towards painting and drawing. And I mean, these were also things that I was doing 
uh, in my teens till, I mean, almost up till 22, till filmmaking became a very demanding profession. And then one just focused a lot more on it. And I think this body of work at home in exile is um, really very close to my heart because it's a very personal body of work. Uh, uh, my other bodies of work are, uh, I would say, to some level, sociopolitical. They are um, looking at the environment and they are sort of uh, my reaction to to my environment and to the transgressions taking place in what I feel is my immediate uh, landscape. Uh, but at home in exile is really about my inner landscape uh, that went through a huge transformation and a flux when I decided to move to Goa around seven and a half years back. And it, it really uh, took me a while to even understand the own transformation that was happening in my own site. And the camera, again, as always has been, became my tool to understand this uh, process. And I was trying to, in a symbolic way, uh, record my, record the solitude, record the isolation, record uh, the symbols that I was coming across record even, try and record even the synchronicities that I was experiencing. So, so yeah, that's what led me. And, and coincidentally, I also began to shoot it on the first SLR I had acquired. So uh -huh. it was like, you know, going back in this loop of time, like revoking something that had been lost and left behind in terms of my tool that was so close to me and beginning to work with it again. So, wow. yeah, that's, that's how it began. That's really beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing all of, you know, that leading up. I think it's important to hear because, um, <laughs> you know, history because there's a lot of people who they want they want to do something but they're not quite there yet so it's it's good to know as i said to you or earlier it's not always a straight line you know and so uh -huh. we have to sort of navigate through our thoughts to get to where we are to be at that point i guess not really sure mm -hmm. but in in moving into this series at home in exile um, you sent me kind of like some thoughts about it and I'm going to read the first passage and then we can, we can comment on it and kind of discuss, discuss the mm -hmm. works. Um, do you want to introduce like what they are exactly before I, before I say what it is, um, describe what, what they look like in a way they're black and white um various sizes um yeah the the attempt has been though i think you do the description beautifully i think you'd actually do it better than me <laughs> so... <laughs> okay I, i'm gonna i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it a deep silence penetrates this body of work that marks the artist's time in a self-willed form of exile 
The everyday marked a transcendental quality transforms into a labyrinth where one is drawn into the inner intimacy of memory of time lived, forgotten, and evoked again. Creation assumes a multi-dimensionality, planes between real and imagines, manifest and unmanifest collapse. A terrain of wilderness that exists within is unleashed. It is ritualized by the aspect of coming home, standing on known, unknown ground within the wanderings buried archetypes explode. It's so incredible. Um, it's so profound. Let's, let's talk about these images. Um, they're, they're of nature, they're of trees and water, they're of um, rock formations, they're of objects, um, mm -hmm. sky, um, some of them are, they're, they're, some of them are quite monochromatic, others are, have more contrast. Um, and you really play with the light and also the film. Um, let's, let's explore that a little bit together. Yeah. So, so I think one, one of the, I don't know if it was conscious, um, or it actually, it wasn't conscious because as I, uh, go on my walks and, um, I wander in the neighborhood, I keep seeing things and um, actually I look at them quite a bit before I begin to shoot them. So in a way, it's like uh, they call out to me and I look at them and I look at them a lot and a sort of relationship develops. And I also question sometimes why I'm looking at this particular tree or, you know, um, what is it about this particular trunk that's been lying there um, that I see every day. Why am I drawn to it? And I also know that, and time there are times this has happened because I take so long to actually shoot the things that I'm drawn to. Uh, one of those things will just disappear. So I'm looking at it for like <laughs> 10 days and saying, okay, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you. And then on the day that I actually go to shoot, uh, it's not there, it's missing. And uh, of course, it doesn't happen with the tree or something, but I'm talking about like a net or something yeah. that's been billowing in the breeze for, for a while. And I've been, and, and that also leaves a strange sense of uh, loss, you know, like, um, sure, sure. like something got eroded suddenly. Uh, and um, that makes me question also the way we, uh, the significance of these things that we see and the things that draw us. And I feel those are deeply linked to symbols. Uh, and symbols are always true. They're universal in a certain sense. You know, they, they might trigger different perceptions or reactions, but a true symbol will always work on everybody's psyche. Uh, and the difference, I guess, would be what we draw from the symbol or the particular meaning that that symbol has to our lives. But at the same time, it 
it is universal in its power to evoke a response or a memory or a timeline. Yeah. Um, so without my really knowing what I was doing, when I look back at these images, I look at all of them as symbols. They're each uh, very um, strongly reminiscent of different aspects of life. Uh, uh, and there are traces of home, there are traces of uh, memory or things being left behind or time having its mm -hmm. marking on certain things like that trunk, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is in the images. It's uh, For me, it was a very powerful moment and um, because it, it clearly signified a very strong journey. You know, it belonged to somebody, came from somewhere, uh, lost itself somewhere, abandoned somewhere else. And uh, it's a, for me, it represented a whole life of um, what time does to all of us. You know, we come in intact and mm -hmm. able to hold a lot. And um, towards the end of life, we're sort of, yeah, um, broken and cracked and ravaged and forgotten somewhere <laughs> so so yeah. you know i mean I, I, sorry you no, were no, going to no, say. no 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 it's it's good I, I i do like each one of the images we're looking at four pages of images and um and and they're all very different and they all have a sense of time and they all have a sense of sensory and light mm -hmm. and um and they all just have so much interior you know um some of these these ones here that that i'm i'm looking at now that are lighter and and mm -hmm. more monochromatic and where you've played with the composition not not what you're saying but maybe with um technical aspects mm -hmm. can you can you can you talk a little bit about that sure yeah sure so um so like i said they are a representation of an interior world and uh they feel at least uh i'd like them to feel like one is wandering within time one is wandering within memory one is Mm -hmm. wandering really within the layers of your own mind, uh, constructed and uh, real, uh, both what exists as very real, uh, observational, empirical, uh, but also things that exist um, as, um, I don't want to say symbols again, but as, as synchronicities, as... Uh, things that we give meaning to by the way we perceive them, but may not necessarily exist, you know? And um, <clears throat> there was a very deliberate attempt uh, technically to make the images feel very lucid and to give them the sense of uh, time that's flowing through them, not time that's frozen in a certain way as you normally photography does it 
distills and freezes a moment. Uh, but what I wanted was the sense of things that are affected by time and time moving through the images itself, uh, that they uh, capture a very distinct phenomena even. Um, so the choice again of how one shoots, if we had to get into the technicality, mm -hmm. um, I usually shoot on a much, for these images I've shot on a much lower shutter speed, for example, than one would usually use. I've sometimes mm -hmm. gone for a 60, sometimes I've even dropped lower to a 30 so that I get a deliberate shake. So I get that, you know, when you take an image, sometimes it's almost like your breath stops when, especially when you, you're getting that exact yeah. moment. So, so it is a kinetic response as well. It is a physical response. Your, your physical is in the moment and is paused by the moment. And, and you know you've got that shot, especially with analog, because you're not, you can't really see uh, what you've shot immediately. And it's not very uh, economical to keep doing mul multiple shots of the same thing either. So there is a certain precision and a certain suspension that the moment demands when you sink into it. You need to be able to... Uh, be totally inhabit the moment completely, as I would say, in order to get that shot. And what I mean by the breath stopping and a slow shutter speed in terms of the te technicality is that this movement in the body itself that has happened in that moment will also be captured in the image because you've allowed for the camera to capture your own movement. I love um, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the sensory the sensory experience that I'm seeing and and I'm I'm curious, I mean I in the light going through it, I mean everything that you're saying I'm seeing. I'm I'm curious when you're walking and you're feeling these this you know, you're walking in, in the space or you're seeing something. And like you said, it takes time for you to decide, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to capture that. So my question is when you're capturing it, do you already have in mind how you may perceive it? Or is there a certain amount of unknown that goes into it? No, I like uh, I like not thinking about it uh, too much. I like uh, the what you say, um, the lucidity of because the I think the relationship is something that develops over time with the subject. So there's already an intimacy in that. But when I'm actually shooting, and also what will come out of it, um, I try to stay sort of detached in a certain way. I'm not thinking too much while I'm shooting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've even um, shot it at a much lower exposure than required. And and of course I've realized when I've taken the shot that oh I'm I'm two stops below the you know mm -hmm. um, required exposure. But then 
changing the exposure in that moment to make it optimum takes something away from my intrinsic immersion in the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, and I know that that image won't be the same as that just but I, I'm ready to shoot it and I say ah but I'm two stops lower now I have to fiddle so I don't fiddle I say it's okay let the image go dark you know I yeah. I need I need this moment more than I need the optimal vision of it yeah. you know oh, um, that's, that's <clears throat> awesome it's, um, I, I love that sense of um, care of your human existence in space yes absolutely and that's very well said you know it it's necessary i think in order to get images like that to be very visceral it's uh to be very intuitive to allow and the reason i started shooting on my uh, first camera and i shot and many of these are shot on expired film again film so some of them are on brand new rolls of film and you can see those in the images uh, like the lady in the rice fields mm-hmm. um where she is uh, quite hidden amidst the all the paddy she's almost like just a form mm-hmm. uh but uh the other images you see the fungus spores and you see mm-hmm. uh the the reticulation and the cracks that have appeared on the film emulsion Mm-hmm. and that is again um this um comes from this desire to work with time so when i pick up uh, an expired roll i'm i'm not anxious at all i'm i'm very excited uh and i know sometimes that i'll probably end up getting only five images of that roll because it i mean you can't tell when you're working with an expired roll how much is fogged how much is fungus how much is you know what you, what you're really going to get <laughs> but <laughs> that's the excitement of it though that's that's the uh, i know that would get me very excited you know that would get me very pumped up absolutely because now you're working and this is why i say that analog is a living medium there is life in the silver in the light in the chemical in our hands in the way our hands rub across them mm-hmm. uh all of this so so yeah so that is that that letting go of control and that play that i'm one part narrator but my medium my camera the expired film the moment that's equal part of being a narrator they are equal narrators and they get to decide as much as i get to decide what is the final outcome of the image you know and then and then we just keep what both of us sort of uh, felt was okay to be published in a certain way you know um they're just breathtaking i'm going to read a little bit more of of what you sent me The unconscious recesses of the psyche play out as narratives of mystery and magic. Time assumes a suspension devoid of linearity of movement, sometimes a vibrationless state, sometimes fragile and dear, clutching at fragments of memory. In this abyss of isolation, 
the self becomes the observer and the observed. Very, very powerful. And this is reflecting on at home and in exile. I mean, clearly, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's about beginning to feel at home in your own isolation, in your own exile. And exile is never a comfortable space, even if it's something that you impose upon yourself. Uh, it's uh, always a space that um, brings up a lot within your own subconscious and unconscious mind because uh, you are your stage and you are the actor. That's the only way I can put it. And you are your audience as well. Mm -hmm. You know, there, you, there's suddenly... Uh, you place yourself in the center of your own existence and look at yourself as the laboratory, as the experiment, as the one who's being unpeeled. But the center of power, I think, changes in a way because usually we feel like we're a body in a world and affected by the world. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, so, but here you are, you are your whole world, you know, there's nothing else that you, because you've taken away all the factors that could distract you, displace you, erode you, you're, you're just now playing within your own arena, but then those things can be deeply confrontational, they um, force you. Uh, to look at the evolution of your own consciousness. And uh, when what I mean by the circularity of time is a kind of repetition in movement, uh, you know, the also the familiarity of one day following the other in exactly the same motion, in exactly the same rhythms. And when when you have no end to this circle, when you don't say that, okay, I'm going to do this for two months, I'm going to do this for four months, I'll do this for a year, when you get into uh, a kind of vortex where it could be endless, this process of exploration, it's suddenly like you've, you've fallen into this Alice's rabbit hole, you know, and you're just mm -hmm. tumbling and but it's exciting. Everything that you're discovering is exciting. So it's not like you're looking for a way out as much as you're looking for a way to unravel and understand um, this, um, these things that are coming to you in, in great force, I would say, because I think also when the psyche uh, begins to explode, it begins to throw up a lot of memory but a lot of things that you also derive from the cosmos, there's a lot of knowledge that begins to come to you. There's a lot of um, synchronicity, things that are definitely meaningful that begin to mark your path. And there are very strong intuitive flashes that, and intuitive naturally means that it's completely irrational but you will follow it and it will lead you 
to a deeper understanding of yourself. And then you begin to question whether the real world is, because there are no coincidences in the quantum. There, there are no mistakes, there are no errors, and, and there is not even inference. It is complete precision if one understands the laws. Mm. Uh, but, and the laws are also simple. The laws are transmutation, that energy does mm. not exist in one particular form. It will constantly transmute. And also that we have the ability to affect this transmutation, to cause this transmutation um, or multiplicity. We see this in nature all the time and the way how abundant it is or even the fact that as human beings, uh, procreation is our largest drive of survival, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as, an, as a race, as a mm -hmm. um, species, we feel that the only way we can prevent our extinction is through procreation. And I think every species uh, feels the same way, which is why uh, we procreate as well in such abundance. Nature procreates uh, maybe tenfold, thousandfold of what uh, we can do as human beings. And that that enforces multiplicity as, again, um, a law. Uh, so, so when geometry, uh, you know, when when one begins to... I say, I'd say unravel the psyche, one also becomes very close to understanding how the quantum works in terms of these various constructs that it has and follows of, or even particle and matter being there being a single point and then that splitting into, again, multiplicity, my right forms. Sorry, I lost my link. Uh, but why was I saying, saying this? <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to read another uh, passage. So, no, this is so, good. No, um, this is very good. I'd, no, I'd like to find why I got here, but... Well, because I, yeah. I, said, I said how this links from at home and, ex and in exile and and so you began saying, yes, yes, it does. And, and that's sort of like the continuum of our entire existence within all existence. And so I think that's where that's where you went. Um, but you wrote something yeah. else here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you wrote something, you sent me something else. And I mean, I just love the way you write. So I, I just feel compelled to read it. And and talk about it because you know you're just so so far over my head you know so I mean I'll be honest and I mean and another topic is no it's just it's so profound I, I I love it because there's so much to learn from you is don't answer this question we'll we'll get to it at another point but like how did you arrive at this you know what was your 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 shaping of your life to say i need to know these things or maybe i do know these things maybe i know these things and when i when i am in a landscape and i'm looking at the moon or i'm looking at the sun these are the things that i i am 
this is my core or maybe there was some fragility and you had in your life and you had to find some ground and you you became uh your knowledge became more um you know more extended in these in these sense of quantum physics and all of these other things i mean i know you have a spiritual life too so i mean there's just so much to discuss <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's a lot to talk about i but, know it's um, a lot so so i i um, told i told you we're just gonna stay on at home in exile because there's so much that we could talk about i'm gonna do a book with you because we're gonna just break it all down but for but for this podcast i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the text that you sent me and read a little bit more so we can explore that because we still have a, mm -hmm. we have some other questions i want to ask you about too in within your own practice mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the, so the next part was layers of the collective unconscious and of the ego personal unconscious come together as an almost jungian synchronicity where one wanders within the respiratory of symbols trying to draw meaning from absurdity trying to draw from excuse me trying to draw form from either ether trying to erase trying to reconstruct the works encapsulate the passage from alienation to reconnaissance the flowering of the unconscious through a constant remembrance um, of repetitive of repetitive moment excuse me of repetitive movement Sorry about that. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so what can we say about Jungian synchronicity, um, the, the unconscious and the ego um, to, to erase, trying to reconstruct, um, to encapsulate the passage from alienation to reconnaissance? Is there, is there anything that you want to say more about that sure so so some some part of it i already spoke about in terms of this dailiness and the circle of time and alice's yeah. rabbit hole and right entering a an energy vortex of sort however um Hyung puts put puts this very beautifully actually so so the part where i was talking about um receiving knowledge so there are things that come from your own subconscious uh, mm -hmm. mind impressions that you have uh, derived over life and maybe buried deep down within but there are definite things that come to you from somewhere else and uh, throughout my life actually i've always had very powerful dreams or visions or sometimes a line or sometimes I, I will even see a moment within a film and I know that I have to make this film and um, it's it's this particular moment that I need to recreate that I've seen with absolute clarity and detail uh, that draws me out. Even with my artworks, there are many times when I wake up uh, early in the morning um, 
because I've seen a certain form or a color and very, very spontaneously, I'm just drawing out the compositions. Um, or I've visited a place and um, somehow I have known about its history or, or the kind of occurrings that have taken place there, even though mm. there are no traces of it or there's no necessary literature that accompanies the site. Um, and this has always made me question where where does this come from? Because this is clearly not coming from inside me. This yeah. is, um, yeah, this is from somewhere else. And I, I'm in acknowledgement of there being a force and a larger universal force. But whether this force can communicate to us with such clarity and such uh, detail and such um, uh, such even uh, direction like now you must do this and it that is it you you know that there is no real even um, will or choice in that you you have just been seized or possessed by this idea but this idea was not really your own it came to you as a vision it came to you as a thought it came to you as something from the universe and you must act upon it mm -hmm. with without conscious without really conscious choice in this matter because you're it's more like you're being pulled along an impulse rather than choosing to go down that way Mm -hmm. And Hume puts this very beautifully where he talks about the collective unconscious and he talks about uh, the anima and he talks about um, uh, the ancient civilizations where all of them had this uh, realization of the little man and the great man or the great man that sat within the little man. And, and I think uh, primitive civilizations described uh, what what we call God today also as this big man that sat within this within our little man you know within our individual selves but this great man has everything contains the knowledge of the entire universe the entire quantum and its workings and everything that has transpired in time before or even after what is to come. Uh, and how incredible is it to begin to understand that this entire well of total, total awareness, total super consciousness sits within each of us. And when one reads the spiritual doctrines as well, and one um, comes across various spiritual texts, all of them talk about the same phenomena. They all talk about, or sometimes we call it the soul, sometimes we call it Atman, sometimes we call it, you know, but, but there is, and this is also what I uh, mean when I say that truths are universal and they're irrefutable because they will appear again and again they will repeat themselves so this again this law of repetition uh there is no denying it because it will be have been said again and again by thousands of people who had no connection with each other across centuries across cultures across um you know so so jung actually is i i love him very much because he's one of those few psychologists that didn't didn't dis 
the um, what lies beyond the empirical sense of experience. In fact, he worked very closely with, or rather he was very interested in what lay beyond what we can grasp with our five senses and say and quantify as real. Uh, and the, I feel that one, the more one starts dwelling and receiving these kind of messages from this great man within and outside, uh, the more you begin to understand yourself and the workings of the universe, but you begin to also understand yourself from a, and which I feel is the most exciting part to me, the, the cosmological perspective. You understand you're no longer um, a being that's affected by the world. You, you are, in a sense, the creator, and this creative force rests within you. So, so it's like going from the outside to a very deep space inside, completely bypassing uh, the in-between body-mind connection. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then using, taking that force back out into the body, into the physical to then affect the outside. Um, and... Um, in fact, the last time we spoke, uh, I wrote it down because it was quite profound. Our last conversation was quite deep. I felt very calmed after that. I felt very, very relaxed, like I'd gone to sleep in a bed of water for a while. You know, it, oh, it felt like that so energetically. Nice. And I wrote that the spirit can only be accessed through the physical the mind will always create an interference, mm. but there is no real difference between the physical and the spiritual. The, the spiritual is the physical. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah. So, for, for example, when we walk into a place and suddenly our, we feel our hair rising, uh, all of us have had these experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, or we feel a very cold sensation run through us upon reading something. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that is a somatic response to to a spirit uh, form, right? And I don't mean by ghosts or anything. I just mean that the yeah. physical is, is sensing something outside of itself, something that is causing it to be triggered in some way and that is a cue to go deeper and understand the space that's bringing out this response but also us within that space why we are there what led us to be there what is it that one needs to draw out so mm -hmm. so that's it yeah one of your images here um is a sacred site mm -hmm. and let's talk about that i mean you you captured it in such a a lovely way you know there's this sense of care even the way you shot it in the light 
and it looks like I don't know smoke or something not maybe not oh. just light but um you you took this photo so all of these things that you're saying you're really really ruminating on and and thinking about and they're coming to you you know yeah so so again this was a site that i um stumbled upon uh, and um, it's a very old ruin in old goa and um, actually for the the year that i stumbled onto the site i also stumbled upon two other sites entirely unplanned i was going on an excursion with friends we were going to a waterfall suddenly we took a diversion came upon these sites but we discovered petroglyphs and that uh, and both sites had this feeling of a um, circle correct mm -hmm. and it got me to think deeper about the symbol of the circle because again this is something that uh, universally appears in many many places you have the circles at stonehenge you have okay. the um uh, the what is it the charles is it the charles labyrinth uh, which is one of the largest uh, labyrinths and then in italy somewhere as well Mm. so so both actually both experiences each time i stumbled upon these were very uh, transportative trans experiences i uh, unconsciously even went and stood in the center of the circle and i was looking skywards and i was really trying to draw i was trying to experiment with what hume says so i was trying to connect with the outside and the inside and figure out whether i can draw impressions of what all could have occurred on these sites and how these sites came to be and mm -hmm. whether they're still whether they're still portals i mean i'm a little bit of a child in my head also so i believe in magic and i believe that and i like to believe that you could stand in a circle and if you knew the right things to do you could teleport yourself to another circle somewhere else in the middle of yeah <laughs> that would be great it's possible yes it's possible so, yeah who knows uh, but these are at least nice uh, these are nice narratives these are nice fictional spaces at least to form in one's head yeah um, and oh, and then when one of course reads history and psychology one also realizes that uh, it may not or oh, and the quantum with that is you realize it may not be so far off that um i have actually come across a passage that talked about historically talked about the different petroglyphs and these uh, circles in different places at one point being like connecting corridors between mm -hmm. places so that's how you uh took off from one place to the other basically in the days mm. when humans weren't so limited um but um <laughs> what, <laughs> so what? so go ahead sorry so yeah so i was standing there and and i the like i said the exercise was was really trying to meditate and draw 
what could have happened before or what these things are. I wasn't looking at them as things that just meet the eye, like just some old ruins, some pile of stones arranged in a circle. I was trying to dig into the mm-hmm. symbol of the circle mm-hmm. and map that across various uh, civilizations. So, so I think that came out in the image as well. When I finally shot it, uh, it you know, and there was uh, just as I shot it, I remember there was this shaft of light that came through and it made the stones glisten in a particular way. And again, it was again almost like the universe reinforcing that here's your here's your bit of magic that you were looking for in these uh, <laughs> stones. You know, we'll we'll bring them to life a little bit. So, so yeah. So I think that feeling. I think where you are in your head. And this is also what I mean about the physical being so directly connected to the spirit. It it just naturally records things in that manner because that's mm-hmm. those are the things that we're occupied with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain... Um, I didn't keep the head of the camera very straight. I kept it like I distorted the circle a little bit. Yeah, shot it from an angle where it doesn't feel like like I didn't want to see it how you see most circles which is topish and the full circle I wanted mm. to see it mm-hmm. like a slightly skewed perspective of yeah it's so good it's it's a great image you you go on to say that when you talk about process um the study was to push the medium of film to, be t- to um, depict the alchemy of silver, light in the manual format, where one only makes a photograph without any external image manipulation, hand-rolled and developed at home. They are a reflection of understanding the medium and consistent, a consistent everyday practice that is, necessis- that is a necessity to gain majesty Uh, mastery with manual processes Um, and you go on and as we spoke earlier about fungus or the age and things like that um, it's it's I, I love the way that you really write about your work too I mean it's not always necessary but I, I really like to understand um your process and and I really appreciate that a lot because not everybody wants to share that they they kind of want to leave a mystery so I'm, I'm really grateful that you're able that you're willing to share why you made this how you made it and your process and what what that what that was about it's it's not all a big secret you know i mean it can be but um but i love that you did that and in, and now that we're kind of like winding down in this discussion i always ask like a question at the end and i didn't actually prepare you for this so i apologize mm-hmm. for that but it's a really easy question and mm-hmm. it's just basically you know, what, what could you share with either A, 
your younger self or just share thoughts to another artist out there, um, whether they're a painter or a filmmaker or um, photographer, performance artist, musician, you know, what writing, um, whatever it is, what could you share like something that you kind of wish you knew, but you know, you didn't know and, and you wish somebody would have told you. And, and I've had so many different answers. I mean, you have one person say, drink more water, you know, just very deliberate. Um, mm -hmm. Others that, you know, it's, we're always developing, um, always sort of continue to live out your dreams and experiment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just mm -hmm. curious from your, your point of view, is there anything you would have liked to share with your younger self or just share to some people out there that are, that are just wanting to make that transition into making art or somebody who's stuck, you know, they're just stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to, um, I'd say it's very important to follow your gut, to follow your intuition, mm -hmm. uh, to really take that journey with yourself, into yourself. I think that's where all the magic begins, that where you... And I would say silence is a discipline. So not too much. Don't, one doesn't need to go overboard with it. But I would definitely say to, to younger artists, to younger practitioners, that you slot some amount of really silent time uh, for themselves. And I don't mean... Uh, silence by um, in the way of don't talk to anybody or don't be around anybody. I also mean silence with yourself where you give yourself the space to not think, to not be overwhelmed, to not be bogged down by a hundred million ambitions and desires and things. Um, and the more one dwells in that space, I think a lot of things begin to come to you so i'd say to to learn slowly to to be this vessel to be this receiver to empty yourself out more and more with this practice of inner silence and see where that takes you and the practice but oh, yeah this is so amazing yeah so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really true it's really, really true. The more time that you take, because I don't know what it's like there, but here in Los Angeles, everybody's in a rush. They have no time. They don't want to speak. They don't want to, just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I find that to be, uh, even in Bombay, even in India, and I think everywhere, really, the way our worlds have turned and 
I think this this is why my other bodies of work in in a certain sense, the sociopolitical aspect of them is this that the change in our way of life, you know, and where what that has done, because as we've become so uh, goal oriented and capitalist as a society where I mean, today it's not even a industry that's mapping our own productivity. We sit and map our own productivity um, with with very harsh batons. You know, I do it to myself, and then I need to uh, really tell myself that that this is a kind of disease of some sorts to constantly. Um, you know, monitor yourself and ensure that I'm producing enough, I'm shooting enough, I'm I'm on point, my discipline is on point, my routine is on point, you know. Uh, so, so I think, yeah, that, um, and life has changed, so we all live in this flux, but that that's where this rewinding and this slower kind of approach and, you know, to live, to live, be present in the moment, to also to be kind to ourselves, you know, that when we give ourselves the silence, we give ourselves some space to not, to to get away from all the self-talk also that goes on. And mm-hmm. that itself is uh, necessary. So. Wow. And, thank you uh, so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful. But, you know, if I may, Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were talking about symbols and Jung and the circle, uh, I'd like to read a small bit of sure. what he says about uh, the circle. I don't know if I should read about the little man and the big man or um, or the circle. What do you prefer? Either. I mean, either. The circle would be good. Okay. So Dr. ML. Von Franz has explained the circle or sphere as a symbol of the self. It expresses the totality of the psyche in all its aspects, including the relationship between man and the whole of nature. Whether the symbol of the circle appears in primitive sun worship or modern religion, in myths or dreams, in the mandalas drawn by Tibetan monks, in the ground plans of cities, or in the spherical concepts of early astronomers, it always points to the single most vital aspect of life, its ultimate wholeness. An Indian creation myth relates that the god Brahma, standing on a huge thousand-petal lotus, turned his eyes to the four points of the compass. This fourfold survey from the circle of the lotus was a kind of preliminary orientation, an indispensable taking of bearings before he began his work on creation. Hmm. A similar story is told of Buddha. At the moment of his birth, a lotus flower rose from the earth and he stepped into it to gaze into the tenfold directions of space. The lotus in this case was eight-rayed and Buddha also gazed upward and downward, making ten directions. Mm. 
This symbolic gesture of survey was the most concise method of showing that from the moment of his birth, the Buddha was a unique personality predestined to receive illumination. His personality and his further existence were given in the imprint of wholeness. The spatial orientation performed by Buddha and by Brahma and Buddha may be regarded as symbolic of the human need for psychic orientation. This is what I find very interesting. And the four functions of consciousness described by Dr. Hume in his chapter, thought, feeling, intuition, and sensation, mm. that equip man to deal with the impressions of the world he receives from within and without. It is by means of these functions that he complements and assimilates his experience. It is by the means of them that he can respond. In art, the circle is often atreed. This expresses a reciprocal overlapping of the four functions of consciousness so that the four further intermediate functions come about. For instance, thought colored by feeling or intuition or feeling tended towards sensation. Yeah, and then he moves into squares and triangles and the rest of the sacred geometry. But, uh, but I found this aspect of the circle being the wholeness and to stand within the circle and to gaze at all the directions and that being a sort of way to come into the internal portal that we carry within us. Uh, quite, mm. quite fascinating. So much to That's think about. What... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. We're, we're Thank gonna, you. We're gonna it's, talk again and talk about yeah. more your other body of work that um, it's called uh, "Silence Is the Loudest Sound," um, the mm -hmm. politics of space, where you you talk about um, paint and um, these Van Dyke Brown sun prints toned with gold chloride and watercolor paper and tree barks and sand and cement you know just so much mixed media so for the listener we we we're not done <laughs> we will we will continue to talk to Ipshita um, about her work and explore explore more about cosmology and consciousness and um so much more and uh, I just want to say thank you again for, for the opportunity to speak to you today. And I believe there's 12 and a half hours difference between us. <laughs> yeah, it's, so um, it it's like we're living in equal halves of day and night. It's yeah. always night when it's day for me and the other way around. So, yeah. yeah. But thank you. It's been amazing. Like I said, I feel very grateful and... Uh, touched to be having these conversations with you and they're equal learning for me and um, it's really wonderful that you're uh, elucidating my practice and sharing it with the world I feel really grateful for that oh, so. thank you okay until, yeah. until the next time okay yes definitely okay
uh, should yeah. 